Great job, Rachel. Hey, good morning. Oh, man, is it, is it going to be this kind of group? Man, I just bounce from one group to another. I never know when I'm going to get. Let's try it one more time. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, one of the things that, uh, man, I, you know, this pastoring thing that God's called me to, I mean, one of the things that's very important to me is that we help equip you for the Christian life. And today, I'm going to invite you to turn to Joshua 24, because one of the important things that you and I have got to be able to understand is how do we recommit ourselves, re-enlist, re-up? Because every one of us is going to hit these places in life where, you know what, um, we're not functioning at complete capacity. Uh, we've got several young couples in here that uh, are kind of early in the marriage uh, relationship, covenant. You know, you're in year four, you're in year six, you're in year seven, you're in year three, maybe got a child or two, maybe working on that, all kinds of things going on there. Uh, you know, I'm just telling you, in marriage, that's one of the reasons that re-engage is such a great thing for our church, is keeping that emphasis on all the important components of marriage. And you have to keep recommitting in marriage. Marriage is much more than the altar. But as we go through life, understand that uh, we're going to have certain experiences that have a big impact on our lives. A doctor walks in and says, hey, that, that back pain that you've been, you've been having is, is a growth on your spine. We think it's malignant. After testing it, we know it's malignant, and it's stage four. You know, that's one of those things that happens to you and you don't have a lot of control over that. There's not a lot you can do about it. There's other things that happen in our lives that we're just as shocked about, but we have the opportunity to do something about it. And when you come to the very last chapter of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24, you have Joshua offering this final encouragement to his people. People that are battle-tested, seven-plus years of battles, people now that have their own territories. Uh, they are at a place now that they need to hear what Joshua is going to share with them, but they had, they, there was no way they could see it coming. I mean, again, here's one of those moments in life that people did not see coming, but they had an opportunity to do something about it. That happened in my life here just a few weeks ago. Many of you are aware that Becky and I made a little move out to the country. Um, we moved into a little place that is 25% uh, the size of what we were living in. And I just ask you, if you're really serious about thinking about this with me, and I hope you are, uh, what if someone came along and told you, you need to get rid of 75% of everything that you got? Some of you are not really thinking. <laughs> That's three out of every four items in your house has got to go. And one of the things that we stored for her was her rocking chair. It's not just any rocking chair. It's a rocking chair that's very important to her. So I put it away in the church. Didn't want to put that in storage. Didn't want anybody else handling that. And uh, it's important to her because on the back of that, it has a little plate that I gave her that chair and I simply put a little gold plate on it and said, you are the music of my life. And so that chair means a lot to her. And she said, I'm ready for it. And when she first said that, I kind of puckered up. You're ready for it? And she said, no, not that, the chair. I'm ready for the chair. And so I came up here to the church and got the chair and very carefully loaded in the back of my pickup truck, headed down to Eden Drive. And I was driving down to Eden Drive, and uh, my phone rang. Now, that's not uncommon. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm doing hands-free, and I'm rolling along there talking, and I get out there on the loop, and I'm getting ready to exit off the loop to go to our Hallsville location. And uh, I turned something that you, some of you don't even know this is in your car. In East Texas, it's called a blinker. It's really called a turn indicator. And so I turned that on. As I was getting off, I kind of glanced up at my rearview mirror, and I didn't see the chair. And I thought, that's odd. Um, and I'm talking to this person on the phone, and I say, hey, hang on just a second. So I get out of the truck, because I, I think the, the, the chair has jiggled down in the base of the truck. There were a few other things back there. And I thought, hey, that thing's, of all things, that thing slid down, I can't even see it. So I, I got out, and I looked in the back of the truck, and there was no chair. 
And so I quickly told the caller, I got to call you back. I U-turn, I get on the loop in Longview, and I'm moving back toward Moberly, toward Alpine Church of Christ, headed back into town toward that Chick-fil-A. And I, I mean, the old Ford is guffing up some energy, baby. I'm moving. And as I'm going, I'm looking at the other side over there looking for this chair. Because I know I had it on Eden Drive, but I didn't have it when I got off of the loop. Pretty small space there. As I got down right in front of Alpine Church of Christ, I looked out there, and there in the left lane on the other side is Becky's rocking chair sitting in the middle. I mean, upside down, beautifully, one piece, and that was a blessing. It was still in one piece. And now, now I'm thinking, how do I park my truck on the loop in front of this chair, not get killed to load it. Do I pull off down in the grass median and then run out there and grab it and throw it back? You know, what do I do? So anyway, I turned around and I turned something else on that some of you don't know about your car, but you have emergency flashers. So I turned that on and uh, I go out and man, other than two scuff marks on the arms and the top, the chair is in pristine, beautiful condition. But dude, it's got some scrape marks on the arms and on the back. I mean, it must have fallen down and just stopped and slid. So now I'm heading back home with this chair that's been scraped up. And as I get closer to the house, I'm thinking, now what am I going to tell my wife? Simple task, put chair in truck, truck to house, house out, extra bedroom, know exactly where she wants to put it. How do I handle this? Well, I was so blessed when I pulled up at our gate. There was, we, we had company. A distraction. So I take the rocking chair in the back door. I sneak it back in there, put it in the washroom temporarily. As Becky gets preoccupied with something else, I move the chair into the guest bedroom. And then I began to wonder the rest of the day, hey, how do I tell my wife, your chair has blown off on the loop in Longview, your prized chair, and it's scraped up about four places on it, but I can fix that. But it is in one piece. I mean, do I go at the thankful direction? Do I go in the, uh, hey, I'm sorry that this happened. Well, why didn't you rope it down? Well, I should have. I mean, all of the, I, mean, I just didn't know where it was going to go. So finally, later that afternoon, I said, hey, something real bad's happened. I need to tell you about it. So I went kind of the approach. I'm going to make it sound like it's devastating, and then a little chair scratching won't be that big a deal. And luckily, just so that I can end the story for you, I survived with a pledge to fix the chair area and so on. But that was just one of the things that happened to me in life. I did not see coming, but I had an opportunity at least to react to it. Now, when we begin reading in just a moment, Joshua chapter 24, God's people, are they're not going to have any idea what's about to hit them. They're about to be faced with a similar situation. Not a rocking chair, but a situation in their life they did not see coming, but at least they're going to have the opportunity to do something about it. Now, I think it's significant for us as we begin reading today to understand a couple of very bold things scripturally. And can I just encourage you for just a moment to really listen and listen carefully? I think the people are at the point in Israel They've got their new land. They've got their new territory. I think they're kind of in a place like a young person is today that says, hey, I've been a Christian now for years. I've been baptized. Everything's good, man. I think they're in kind of a place where our young adults are at times, hey, employed, families well. I mean, we're just in a good place. Wish we had a little more money, but other than that, man, life's good. I think it's for some meeting and senior adults and say, you know what, I've been Christian a long time and you know what, everything's good. And they have no idea what's coming. I mean, for them, there's no more rivers to cross, no more mountains to climb, no more battles to fight, our territories in hand, the promised land. Hey, our forefathers, they were rebellious. I'm sorry about that, but they've been buried and we have a new generation. Seven years of victorious battles. Man, we got a great leader in Joshua. Everything is good. And Joshua's fixing, he, he's uh, fixing to, that's East Texas. He's about to unload both barrels of an important scriptural truth. 
Now this morning, I want you to get it down. Whether you write it in the margin of your Bible, whether you write it on one of those bulletins, you're supposed to be picking up and 92% of you haven't. Hey, I want you to jot down something today I want to introduce to you called a cycle of commitment. That's one reason I believe in pastoring and teaching. I think when we teach God's word, we equip people. We help you where you are. We give you tools. Every week you go out of here with this spiritual toolbox, we hope, to say, you know what, dude, that's going to be helpful right there. Because, hey, whether I won't admit it, and I'm not going to admit it in a group, that's what most people say spiritually. I'm not saying anything. But inside, you know that everything's not hitting on all cylinders spiritually. And today I want to give you this cycle of commitment. And it's based out of the understanding of something in the Bible called progressive revelation. You do understand that when you came to know Christ, you were introduced to everything in the Christian life at one time, don't you? God unfolds certain things in your life as you can bear it, as you can master it, as you can understand it. That's why the Bible teaches us we have these incredible moments in Scripture. For instance, one of the big boys in the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Do you realize that for hundreds and thousands of years, God was preparing his people for a single solitary moment in preparation when he was ready to send his son, the Lord Jesus, through a young girl, unwed, Virgin Mary of all things, and he was going to do it in such an incredible, meticulous way. That's the way God does things. You have these moments where we hear Jesus teaching to the disciples when he says, there's so much more that I want to tell you, but you yet, as of yet, are not able to bear it. And so until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, in other words, when I depart and the Holy Spirit indwells you, then you'll be able to, to handle that. You have these moments when the disciples, you see in the scripture where it says, and they remembered what Jesus taught. They remember what Jesus said. They remembered back when Jesus, whatever it was. And, and you understand when you read progressive revelation, you understand that the people had no idea what was coming. I mean, Jesus taught this, it happened, but they didn't get it. They weren't ready for it. And so with that in mind, we walk into these verses knowing two very important things. Knowing first that here's a group of people that something's about to hit them, but they have a chance. They have an opportunity to do something about it. And these are people that are trying to, just like we are, figure things out, go a little deeper in God's word through progressive revelation one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the transfiguration. Jesus takes three, three disciples with him. Maybe some say they were the three most devoted. Man, that's up in the air for interpretation. But all I know is the Bible says he took three. Jesus takes on this glowing personification, this spiritual essence. And these three see it. And man, that's like, dude, man, it was like a ghost appearing. I mean, they didn't know how to explain it. And you remember Jesus says, as they get ready to go down the, 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 the uh, mountain, he says, hey, 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 don't tell anybody about this. People are not ready for this. Only after I have I ascended can you tell anybody this. And so I pray today will be one of those moments as we just unfold these three little concepts out of this cycle that you're going to be able to pack it up, carry it with you, and it's going to serve you well the rest of your life. Now, as we read Joshua 24, beginning in verse number one, you do understand that Joshua's not calling them to enlist in service. They're already servants. I mean, he's, he, he's not saying join the Lord's army. They're already believers. I mean, he's talking to a group like most of us in here today. Many of us are believers. We are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. No need to enlist us into the Christian service. We're already serving. Joshua is going to knock these people back with something they're not expecting because he's not going to be asking them to enlist. He's going to be asking them to re-enlist, to re-up. Something a lot of people scoff at and laugh at, recommitment. 
We used to have that in our churches. People come forward and say, we're recommitting our lives. I guess that's something of a historical perspective now. A lot of people, we don't, we don't hear about that a lot. We don't, we don't hear people talking about that. But let me tell you something. That's a very important element of our lives. Because none of us work at full maximum strength and impact the whole Christian life. But how do we get there? Joshua gathers them around. Let's look in verse number one, chapter 24. Joshua gathers them around and he says, then Joshua assembled all the tribes. Hey, that wasn't an easy thing of Israel. It's Shechem, important place. Gilgal and Shechem, Shechem and Gilgal, the two big meeting places all through the book of Joshua. Their spiritual importance uh, has been amplified over and over. No need to go back and talk about that. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And look, look what the first part of verse two says, and this is significant. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord says. You see that? This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Joshua says, I don't stand here as an 88-year-old military general that's brought you to great prominence and victory. I served prior to that under the Moses administration. I'm not here to talk to you from a great political or spiritual leader position. I'm here to tell you what the Lord says. Wow. And then in verse 3, all the way down through verse 13, you can glance at it for the sake of time. He's going to summarize all of the incredible things that God has done. One victory after another. One great moment after another. And he's going to bring them to the end of verse 13. He's going to say, wow, do you remember that? Do you remember how, the, how great the Lord is? And then they never saw it coming. Verse 14, and I introduce you to this cycle of commitment. Look at it as we read in verse 14. Now, here it is, number one, look at the verbs, fear the Lord. And number two, serve him with all faithfulness. By the way, the NIV is one of the only, only two translations I can find that translate it that way. And faithfulness, the end of verse number, or in the middle of verse number 14, most almost every translation translates it this way. Serve him in sincerity and truth. Fascinating. The NIV takes one word to encapsulate both of those. Faithfulness. Again, the concept of sincerity and truth. And then look at number three, verse 14. Throw away the gods. Your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Look in verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, we've got an issue here. We throw on the brakes. For you that are my gifted and talented Bible students, and you know who you are, if you're really the brightest, like Josh Thomas thinks he is today with his Baylor sweater, how about them bears, and all that stuff. Now next week they'll lose and he'll be ashamed. He'll wear something black. He'll be in mourning, all right? But for you that are the gifted and talented Bible students, let me ask you a question. How did these people know what gods their ancestors worshipped in Egypt? They weren't there. And none of their parents or grandparents are there. They left them buried in the desert. So why would Joshua be telling a whole new generation of people that are in the promised land about worshiping some gods that they had never been exposed to. Hmm. Could it be that there will always be a battle from one generation to another with all gods of idolatry? 
just like the weeds that we whack away and clean up out of a flower bed, knowing that underneath the surface there are roots and weeds and seeds that are always gnawing their way back to the surface to repeat that cycle all over again. But quickly, the three parts of the cycle of commitment, I want you to write them down. They're fascinating and important because they speak to us time and time again. They speak to us in our senior year of high school when the college thing or the workforce thing is on our mind. They speak to us during tryouts as a student. They speak to us in young adult married life in those moments when we get so preoccupied and busy with all the other things of life that church and our serving the Lord, all of that realm kind of gets pushed to the back. It gets pushed behind the racetrack. It gets pushed behind ball games. It gets pushed behind everything else in our life. Vacation, everything else begins to emerge. And somehow, we didn't mean it this way. I mean, that's it's not our heart is that we're uh, rebelling against God, but somehow we're sitting in church one day in one of those rare occasions that we're there and some pastor teaches about the concept of commitment and all of a sudden we just kind of begin evaluating, not because of what he said, but something because something happened inside of us that we say, you know what? Just as I talked to a young lady in my office this week about this, hey, this is strange. You spend more time with your dog than you do in spiritual development. Do you agree? And she says, yes. I said, you spend more money on your dog than you do giving to the Lord's work. She said, yes. Wow. And I didn't say another thing for a moment. I just looked at her. And she said, Pastor, that's not a very good testimony, is it? And I just said, you think? Three things. Let's jot them down and talk about them quickly. Number one, fear the Lord. How do you get back? See, here's an opportunity for some that may be in that place, and if you're not in that place, you will be in this place, or maybe you're just coming out of this place where you know what, you haven't been at the apex of walking with the Lord and serving the Lord. This cycle of commitment, let me tell you, this is going to come around many times in your lifetime. You're going to need this over and over and over again. Number one, what does it say? First verb, fear. Fear the Lord. Now, I know when we mention that, that's kind of a foreign concept to most people in New Testament covenant life because a lot of people don't understand. In the Old Testament, there was one key word. If, if I were to ask you in your Old Testament survey class, okay, here's your homework for, for next week's assignment. You can pick one word out of the Old Testament that best describes your response to God, but you can only pick one word. In other words, what God desires of you and your response to him, what word would you pick? And I think you're gonna be hard pressed to come up with a better word than fear. Fear. Fear God. In the New Testament, if I were to ask you to do that in your New Testament, I hope you would come up with either the word faith or faithfulness. But you see, when I talk about fear of the Lord, many of you think about some kind of superstitious fear. I was telling Officer Webb out here was asking me, hey, what happened in Tractor Supply? It's funny, when I tell a story, man, everybody's going to ask me about it, especially if I don't give them the ending of the story. And I, I was telling the, the early service, I was standing in Tractor Supply two weeks ago and I was waiting to pay out. Have you had, are you one of those people that has luck in lines or bad luck? I always get in the slowest moving line. I always pick the shortest and it seems to always be the slowest. When I tell, tell people that, my wife says, well, hey, dummy, get in the longest line. And I said, well, that wouldn't make sense. It's a longer line. She says, well, it never works out for you. I mean, seriously, if there's two people in the line and the other one has six, I get in the two and all six are out in the other line before I even get to the register. So anyway, I go to the shortest line and it has four or five people in it. They got both registers going to tractor supply. Anyway, I finally get up there. I'm next in line and this man has a big order in front of me and he's kind of like I am, ag exempt, farmer, ranching and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, the little girl, I think she was in high school. I mean, it's a real young girl. I mean, you could tell, just young, man. She's running the register and she says, okay. And, and she tells him the amount. It'll be $666. Six, six, Six. And the man says, in a deep, penetrating voice, 
I ain't paying 666. And a little girl just, like deer in the headlight kind of moment. Well, sir, and she's pulling this ticket out and showing him the computer screen. You know, all this wire you bought, it's $666. She said, I ain't paying. I want you to re-ring it. Ring it up for 665 and I'll give you a dollar cash. Or ring it up for 667 and you can give me a dollar. Man says, I'm not paying for anything at 666. So the little girl just panics. She melts. So she says, I've got to get my manager up here. He said, fine, bring the manager up here. Well, I'm thinking back here in the back. Dude, are you serious? Well, finally, they work it out. The man just finally says, the manager says, hey, we, hey, we can't change the price thing. It's $666. He says, you know what 666 means? And the manager says, well, I've heard that's unlucky or whatever. He says, no, no, no. What I'm telling you is fear of the Lord is not superstitious fear. I was sharing with them. We had this big covered dish thing when I was pastoring in Albuquerque. We had a couple of hostesses that were taking people's dishes before church. We were going to have lunch. And this is the truth. A, a lady walks in with this big covered tray and she walks in, she hands this to one of the hostesses. The hostess says, hey, is this going to be refrigerated, heated up? What is it? And she says, it's deviled eggs. And the hostess says, Lord, boundeth thou, bind, bind this up and tried to hand it back to the lady. She wasn't going to let us take the deviled eggs. I'm serious. In fact, that next Monday, I had to sit down with both of those ladies in my office and <laughs> referee the feud there for a moment. But you understand, don't you? I'm not suggesting we don't have evil and Satan at work. I know that. You know that. But if we're not careful, we can go to the silly point of the superstition. All of a sudden, we begin to bind ourselves up into bondage. I mean, when the Lord said, fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, hey, that says something, doesn't it? It's not slavish fear. I'm not talking about that. I mean, really, another word for it would be surveil uh, fear. Uh, somebody that cowers over you and they're, they're like a master over you and you're intimidated by them and you're fearful what they're going to do to you and your whole response is, oh, I, I hope they don't do this or say this or look at me like this or I, I'm, I'm hoping the consequences of this uh, relationship with them is not this. No, no, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, listen, I'm talking about the type of fear, not slavish or, or, or superstitious. I'm talking about scriptural fear, man. I'm talking about reverence. I'm talking about respect. I'm talking about godly fear that comes out of the very heart of us loving God. I mean, to, to the point that you and I say, hey, we love our Lord so much we would never want to disappoint him. Hey, we love our Lord so much we would never want to disobey him. We would never want to break his heart. That's what I mean by reverence, the fear of the Lord. A great evangelist of old, Gypsy Smith, maybe summarized it best when he says, reverence is never losing the wonder. See, when students lose the wonder of who their God is in their life, it's time to recycle. See, when young adults lose the place of the wonder and amazement of who the Lord Jesus is in their heart and life, it's time to recycle and re-up. And it doesn't matter where you are and what phase of life you're in. Fearing the Lord is a foundation of it all. Did, did you notice of the three right here in verse number 14, fear the Lord, serve him, throw away or put away the gods? Did you, did you notice that this one is different than the other two? This one's an attitude. This one's an attitude, an attitude, an attitude. The other two are practical expressions, aren't they? Let's look at the second one, serve him. Let's jot that down, serve him. I fleshed it out in your outline today, faithfulness, because that's how the NIV translates it, but I didn't want to miss these two aspects that the other translations bring to us, serving him. You do understand, don't you, that part of what we struggle with in the Christian life is time, is obedience. Every single day, every single week, there are factors at work wanting our time. Students, 
I, I shared with you what last week, week before about talking to some moms here in the last few weeks about, hey, man, our students are so busy. They're exhausted. Their homework and church and cheer and band and all these other things. I'm saying, yeah, they can't do it all. Your child can't do everything. Well, that's why we moved her to this little school because in a 3A school, they can play all the sports and they, then they can take their uniform off and go play at band. And it's, it's like, no, 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 no. You do what you want with your child, but it's gonna come to the end and you're gonna understand something. Your child will never be able to do everything. I'm sorry. Well, that makes them well-rounded. I'm so sick of here. We want them to be well, well-rounded. I said, man, I want them to be well-rounded. But you understand, there's always pressure from the world to give time and service and loyalty. And you and I are gonna have to make a decision. Did you notice the big famous verse 15 here in Joshua 25? That's on so many people's door frame. It's on a little plaque in people's house. As for me and my house, we're gonna what? Serve the Lord. I got it. Why do we forget that so often? Why do we forget that Sunday's not yours? It's not yours. It's the Lord's. That's the Lord's day. It's always been that way from biblical times until now. It's different. It's not your day. It's his day. Your day with him. How do we serve him? Well, faithfulness in summary is sincerity, number one. We serve him with sincerity. Sincerity is kind of, see, how would I describe that in East Texas? It's what you see is what you get. It's the external of your work agreeing with the internal of your heart. I mean, sincerity is perfect harmony in what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Those two things line up. What I say, I do. What I do, I say. Two weeks ago in my quiet time, I don't know, 4.30, 4.40, whenever I, I, I got in that morning, I uh, picked up my little devotional guide. And of all things, 1 John 1, 1, 4. It was an incredible verse. And, and, and the writer of my devotional was just talking about that word. That, that, that verse says, my little children. And then it goes on to say, love not only in deed, but also in, depending on which translation, in truth or in sincerity. You see, it, it brings us back to reflecting on our Christian lives and why we need times of recommitment. We need times of recommitment because sometimes we're going through the deed portion, but we're not going through with the sincere heart portion. The external is still going, but the internal has long since vacated. I sense that about a lot of churches. Columns are still painted, people are still coming, still generating millions of dollars. But you know what? The spirit of the Lord is not in that place. The spirit of the Lord has long vacated. <laughs> and that happens sometimes in our lives. We're still here going through the motions. We're doing youth group, we're doing small group. I mean, we're doing those things. We're helping on work that we're going to the men's camp out. Yoo! We're doing all that stuff. And all of a sudden, our deeds but not our heart and our sincerity. Those don't add up. Somebody gave me a little book with some Puritan writers. I tossed it aside months ago. The other day I was going through a stack. I found it. I put it back on my desk. Just picked it up the other day. Had 10 minutes to read. And the first one in this little Puritan book of writings was a guy named John Bright. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I'd never heard of him. You know the Puritans, those wide brim hats. <laughs> kind of like what we would call the Amish people now. I mean, I mean, 
from years ago. They were very stringent in their beliefs. Doctrinally, they were conservative kind of people. John Bright was writing about one morning where all the men gathered. It'd be kind of like all of the men going to Chick-fil-A now or McDonald's. And, you know, the, the, the older guys sit around, they talk, they tell the same stories a hundred times and they forgot that they told them. And, you know, it's that kind of grouping. And he said, all these Puritan men with these wide brim hats were sitting around and they were all shaking their head in, in great disdain that there had been a house fire among the Puritan community. A whole house had burnt to the ground, burned up all this family's belongings. Luckily, no one was hurt, but they were just talking about how terrible it is, how saddened they were about it. And John Bright said, I took off my wide brim hat and I stuck it out to each one of them and I asked them this question, how sad are you? How sad are you about this house fire? You want to give to help them? In their heart, they were so saddened. But were their deeds going to match? So as we serve him, are we serving him with sincerity? Are the actions of our hands and the expression of our heart matching? The second part of this is faithfulness, and not only in sincerity, but in truth. Over in the second chapter, I found out, oh, I don't know, four or five days ago, I went back and did a little Hebrew word search. I, I'm much further along in the Greek language than I am in the Hebrew. Hebrew's not my favorite. So I don't spend nearly as much time as I should doing word studies in Hebrew. But just a quick word study in the Hebrew, how many times is the word truth used in the Old Testament? And uh, of all places, it flagged for me Joshua 2. And I thought, I've never seen the word truth in Joshua 2. But it flagged for me Joshua 2.12. And that's an interesting place because over there, Rahab, you remember Rahab the prostitute, don't you? The spies came in, they were doing surveillance. And, and the prostitute Rahab hid them out and saved them. And you remember, before she did that, she was making a deal with them. Now, when you come back and you crush Jericho, I want you to save my family. And I went back and reread that verse, and here's what it says, Joshua 2.12. Now then, please swear to me, this is Rahab speaking to the spies, that the Lord that you'll show has said in the Hebrew language, H-E-S-E-D, or kindness. Some of you, well, that, that you'll show me has said, you'll show me kindness to my family because I've shown has said kindness to you. And then here it is, give me a sure sign. Or most translations say, give me a true token. By the way, do you know what the root word for those two English words, true, token, or sure sign is? It's the same word in the Hebrew as truth. Rahab was asking the spies this. Can I count on you? Can I rely on you that when you come back, you're not going to massacre me and my family? It's not so much me, she says, I'm concerned about, but I'm concerned about my family. My dad, and my mom, my aunts and my uncles, my nieces and my nephews. I want to know, are you people of truth? Can I count on you? Can I have confidence in you? Are you going to be steadfast? You see, the first part of this cycle of commitment, did you get it? Fear the Lord. That's an attitude. But serving him is a positive expression. And that's the important part, the second most important part of this cycle of commitment. Quickly, the last one. Go back to verse number 14. Right in the middle it says, fear the Lord, serve him with all, with all faithfulness, sincerity or truth. And then it says, throw away. Do some of you have this translation? Put away. Put away the gods of your ancestors. There's the third part. And again, these little gods, these, this idolatry springs up in all of our lives. It just happens, man. It just happens. It doesn't matter how hard we fight it. We look around from time to time, and there's a weed over here. One of my favorite pastors that he's uh, retired now, he used to be at First Baptist Woodstock, is named Johnny Hunt. And Johnny Hunt said every morning, he did the same thing. He got his cup of coffee, and he went out, and he walked the perimeter of his house. And as he walked it, he did what he called DDD. Daily devoted diligence. Daily devoted diligence. 
He said, every day I walked around the perimeter of my house, looked at every flower bed. He said, the moment I saw one little weed creeping its head up, he said, some mornings I had to reach down five times, some mornings two times, some mornings I walked around the whole perimeter and there wasn't anything sticking its head up. But he said, if I didn't do that every single day, the next thing I knew, I'd have 50 or 60 or 70 weeds. I'd have a monstrosity on my hands. If I just skipped a few days, he said, those boogers kept coming up. And what I'm suggesting to you is even when we do surface cleaning of our heart through confession, you be aware that right beneath the surface there's always a weed about to emerge. Put off. Put away. Quickly with your Bible. I want to show you a crazy ending. I just want to read it to you. I want you to follow along with me. This is crazy. Joshua gets through introducing this cycle. They didn't see it coming, did they? It's kind of like, hey, everything's good. All of a sudden, Joshua, Joshua, both barrels. You need to fear the Lord. You need to start serving him with new zeal. You need to put away, you need to throw away that mess that doesn't belong in your life. Get that stuff out of there. That's gonna bring you back to the Lord and where you need to be. The people are like, what? Okay, okay. And I want you to hear the response. Look in verse 16. And man, they cry out, what a great revival. Woo, praise the Lord. Then the people answered, far it be from us to forsake the Lord our God. We're not gonna forsake him. I mean, can you hear them? They're stoked, baby, they're pumped. Look in verse 17. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt and from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes, all the things that he listed from verse three to verse 13. They're saying, whoop, yes, he did all of that. yes. Middle of verse 17, he protected us on our entire journey and among the nations through which we traveled. Verse 18, and the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he's our God. That's what the people said. And if we just folded up right there, said, y'all come on back, sing a few songs, we'd say, man, that ended well. But one of the most peculiar things I've ever seen happened A man of God preached a sermon, I guess you could say. The people responded. It was like they came forward. They said, okay, we'll recommit. And then they all made that commitment. And then the preacher said, "Mm, no, I don't think so. It ain't gonna happen. Looking around you people, some of you came down here in front praying and some of this, no, it ain't. Just going back to your seat, going going back. This ain't gonna, this this not gonna work. You don't believe me? Look at it in your Bible. And Joshua said to his people, verse 19, crazy. Well, you're not able to serve the Lord. Well, we just said we're gonna serve him. No, I'm just watching you. I'm looking at you. Mm -mm. You're, You're not serious about this. He went on to say, hey, don't you realize that he's a holy God? Look at it in, in verse 19. He, he's a jealous God. He's not going to forgive your rebellion, your sins. You, you, you come with this flippant, carefree, careless attitude. You just think, oh, well, okay, we need to do a little commitment. We'll do a little commitment. And in verse 20, it, he says, let me tell you how serious this is. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he'll turn and bring disaster on you and end, make an end of you. Did you hear that? He's going to look at you trying to make some kind of fake response here, something that you're not sincere about. After he says, and all that, after he's been good to you. I'm just asking the question. Is today to you just another message? Hey, he's got four minutes. It's no big deal. He preaches like this every week. This cycle of commitment. Three fifty, three forty nine, three forty eight, three forty seven, three forty six. Okay, Pastor, we'll try to come to church a little more. We'll try to try to be more connected in our service. And I would just say, hey, this is not gonna work. But it didn't end that way. In fact, look in verse twenty one. But the people said again, look at this, said to Joshua, No! 
By the way, in the, in the NIV, they have an exclamation mark. There's a special mark in the Hebrew language when you want to put emphasis on something. The best we can do in the English language is just an exclamation. No, they said. By the way, in the Hebrew, it's a breath mark. It's kind of like somebody sighs or they cry out. And that's what's happening. We will serve the Lord. Oh, it was kind of like a few moments ago. I said, hey, good morning. And I stopped you and said, hey, don't tell me that, man. Don't tell me that. Let's don't waste 39 minutes, good minutes here. Good morning. I was like, good morning. You see what the people are doing? They're coming back a little stronger. Look in verse 22. Then Joshua said, well, you are witnesses against yourselves. He says, hey, when you make a pledge, you typically do that in front of witnesses. You got all the people of the nation here. And he says, it, it's kind of like you're pledging as a witness to yourself that you're going to be faithful, that you're going to go through this cycle of recommitment, that, that you're, you're going to fear the Lord. You're going to serve him. And, 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 and by the way, you're going to throw away, you're going to do DDD, daily diligence. You're going to clean up all this stuff. And he says, we will. He says, yes, we're witnesses. Now look quickly. They said, yes. Look at the last three verses that we're going to look at today. Verse 23, 24, and 25. Now then, Joshua said, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve. We'll serve the Lord our God. We'll obey And on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. Right there at Shechem, he affirmed for them the decrees. It's interesting in the King James, it says, it uses the word incline. You need to really incline your hearts. You need to yield your hearts. The word picture for that is a little plant that's maybe in the windowsill of a kitchen window or somewhere. And with time, that, that, that little plant will start drawing itself, stem and all, flower, all of it will begin pointing. It's searching out the very inclined to yield, to, to be drawn to that sunlight. And Joshua says, hey, if this is going to work, you've got to yield and incline your heart to the Lord. But one of the things I've tried to talk to our students about over these last three or four weeks and they're walking through a period of time. We're trying to get transitional leader for them. And our church is walking through that. Some of you are walking through that in your marriage. I know some of our students right now are dealing with some moral choices. Man, that's just, man, man, those, man, those are heavy, man. People are just at a key point at age 15, 16, 17, 18. Man, those are just weighted down years. And for you adults that are a little older than they're sitting here looking at me, kind of like you're cross-eyed or something, maybe you've forgotten. Tough years. And what I know as a pastor of over 30 years now is we all go through these places. We don't want to be there. Sometimes it takes us a period of time to recognize that we're there. But when the Lord hits us, face-to-face, head-on with a challenge of this cycle of commitment, progressive revelation. The great thing about it is not the boom getting hit. It's that we at least have an opportunity to respond. When they call you and they say so-and-so's committed suicide, boom, it's all over. You have nothing to say in that. When they say stage four, pretty much all over, you have very little to say in it. But there are these moments when God says, boom, now what are you going to do? What is your response going to be here? And in those moments, we need to rejoice because God gives us an opportunity to do something about it. Incline your heart. Yield your heart. Just want to thank you for the way you've listened today. Thank you for how you were tuned in. 
I counted four students that actually took notes today. I'm praying for a, a, a student ministry one day that 100% of our students are glued in. We're not there yet, but God's moving us there. It excites me when I see half of our young adults actually writing something down. But today, for most of you, you were really glued in. This afternoon, for you that have not had the opportunity, this is a weekend that we set aside in America called Veterans Day, Veterans Weekend. If you haven't done so, even if you have to find one, find a veteran and say thank you. Because I don't know about you, but I'm telling you how my heart, I am thankful for the men and women that have served. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I want to thank you for these moments that we had in your word. Thank you for the focus that we've had because focus is going to determine our finish. And Father, I just pray that as we continue to work through the word of God, that each week we would see and this invisible set of bags and, and, and briefcases and these elements that we take out of here spiritually, a, more of a toolbox, an array of principles and concepts that are going to help us biblically. Because, Father, we know marriage is tough. We know adolescent life is tough. We know that senior adult living is tough. We know that staying on the very cutting edge of being faithful to you, excited about a relationship with you, we know at times that that turns in a downward direction, not because we hope that it does, not because we expect it to happen, it just, it just does. And so, Lord, in those moments when we sense that we've slipped, in those moments that we're struggling and floundering, that we feel like God doesn't hear us, Father, in those moments, we know the Word of God is the key anchor for us. When we go back and we read those passages, and the sheep, they know they know their shepherd and the shepherd knows each one of his sheep. Father, when we read that our Savior knows us by name, we know the yearning of our God to pop us right in the head and say, now look, what are you going to do? What is your response going to be? You're not serving with sincerity. You're not serving with truth. You're not fearing the Lord, that awesome wonder that you've lost. Father, I just pray that you would take your word now and apply it to our hearts. We're so thankful just to be your children. Father, that we may be faithful instruments that incline and yield our heart to you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.